0: Uh, We have two scripture passages tonight. An Old Testament scripture passage, Genesis 1, 1 through 3. We're also going to look at Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27. Uh, Also, New Testament scripture, Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through 17. P. Bible page 1499. Before we turn to read those passages, will you pray with me that the Lord would bless the reading and preaching of his word. Heavenly Father, you have revealed yourself to us in Jesus Christ, your son. You have given us your word. And by your spirit, you help us. You show us. You work in us. The salvation you have given to us in Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, in this time to experience the wonder of you, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to know the benefit of knowing who you are and what it means for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. First words of the scripture, Genesis chapter 1. Here now the reading of God's holy word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Also, Genesis 1 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through 17, the baptism of Jesus. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. We're also going to be looking at Belgian Confession, Articles 8 and 9. We found the back of your Green Psalter hymnals on page 72. Articles 8 and 9. Uh, Once again, I'm going to read from the Belgian Confession here in the back of our Green Psalter hymnals, but as we go through the sermon, I'm going to read from my book here just because I think it's a little bit easier. to to follow along and some of the wording may be different but the essence is the same okay so article 8 of the belgian confession god is one in essence yet distinguished in three persons according to this truth and this word of god we believe in one only god who is the one single essence in which are three persons really truly and eternally distinct according to their incommunicable properties namely the father and the son and the holy spirit The Father is the cause, origin, and beginning of all things visible and invisible. The Son is the word, wisdom, and image of the Father. The Holy Spirit is the eternal power and might, proceeding from the Father and the Son. Nevertheless, God is not by this distinction divided into three, since the Holy Scriptures teach us that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have each His personality distinguished by their properties, but in such wise that these three persons are but one only God, Hence then it is evident that the Father is not the Son, nor the Son the Father, and likewise the Holy Spirit is neither the Father nor the Son. Nevertheless, these persons, thus distinguished, are not divided nor intermixed, for the Father has not assumed the flesh, nor has the Holy Spirit, but the Son only. The Father has never been without His Son or without His Holy Spirit, for they are all three co-eternal and co-essential. There is neither first nor last, for they are all three one in truth and power and goodness and in mercy." In Article 9, the proof of the foregoing article of the trinity of persons in one God. All this we know as well from the testimonies of the Holy Writ, as from their operations and chiefly by those we feel in ourselves. The testimonies of the Holy Scriptures that teach us to believe this Holy Trinity are written in many places of the Old Testament, which are not so necessary to enumerate as to choose them out with discretion and judgment. In Genesis chapter 1, 26-27, God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness, etc. And God created man in his own image, male and female. He created them. In Genesis 3.22, behold, the man has become as one of us. From this saying, let us make man in our image, it appears that there are more persons than one in the Godhead. And when he says, God created, he signifies the unity. It is true, he does not say how many persons there are, but that which appears to us somewhat obscure in the Old Testament is very plain in the New. For when our our Lord was baptized in Jordan, the voice of the Father was heard, saying, This is my beloved Son. The Son was seen in the water, and the Holy Spirit appeared in the shape of a dove. This form is also instituted by Christ in the baptism of all believers. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In the Gospel of Luke, the angel Gabriel thus addressed, Mary, the mother of our Lord, the Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and the power of the Most High shall overshadow thee. Wherefore, also the holy thing which is begotten shall be called the Son of God. Likewise, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And, according to the AV, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. In all these places, we are fully taught that there are three persons in one only divine essence. And although this doctrine far surpasses all human understanding, nevertheless, we now believe it by means of the Word of God... But expect hereafter to enjoy the perfect knowledge and benefit thereof in heaven. Moreover, we must observe the particular offices and operations of these three persons towards us. The Father is called our Creator by His power. The Son is our Savior and Redeemer by His blood. The Holy Spirit is our sanctifier by His dwelling in our hearts. This doctrine of the Holy Trinity has always been affirmed and maintained by the true Church since the time of the Apostles to this very day against the Jews, Mohammedans, and some false Christians and heretics, as Marcion, Manes, Praxis, Sibelius, Samosatinus, Arius, and such like, who have been justly condemned by the Orthodox fathers. Therefore, in this point we do willingly receive the three creeds, namely that of the apostles of Nicaea and of Athanasius, likewise that which, conformable thereunto, is agreed upon by the ancient fathers. That's a lot. We'll uh, hopefully be able to boil it down some. All right. Uh, Christians have professed to believe in the Trinitarian nature of God for thousands of years. It's been a staple of orthodoxy, part of catechetical education and discipleship. Yet for many, being Trinitarian, believing Christians does not go beyond the confession that God is one being and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Maybe uh, a question we should ask about our confession is Trinitarians should go beyond simply understanding. Uh, maybe we should ask this question that the Heidelberg Catechism often asks about doctrines. Um, and it's one that I appreciate about the Heidelberg Catechism. How does this benefit us? How does God being Trinitarian benefit us? What good does it do for God to be three in one? um, Besides the fact that that's who he is and knowing who he is and confessing to believe who he is is important. Um, How does it benefit us? So, our theme tonight... There is no salvation apart from the Trinitarian God. Stark, I know. We have four points. The first is one essence. Second, three persons. Third... The Bible, the Bible's testimony, fourth, the benefit. So let's start with the one essence. The core tenet of the Jewish faith, the one that made them stick out like a sore thumb... Amidst all their counterparts, amidst the the Greeks in the Romans, was their monotheism. And we talked about we've talked about before the confession of uh, the Jewish people was the Shema, "Hear, O Israel: The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind." The beginning of that confession, the Shema hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. And so monotheism is the belief in one God. There's uh, so many religions out there that I think it's helpful often to boil it down to uh, the fact that there can only really be uh, three right choices. And that's because of all the religions out there, there are three main religions that are monotheistic. There is Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. And so, what you're choosing from are those three religions in essence. Because they're monotheistic. And only one has the true God. There's no salvation apart from the Trinitarian God. We'll get to that. But the one essence is a part of the confession in Article 8. God is one in essence, yet distinguished in three persons. After talking about how we know what we know from the Word of God, right? It says, according to this truth and this Word of God, that this Word of God has revealed to us, we believe in one only God who is the one single essence. The one essence of God is the reason why the three persons of the Trinity are indivisible. They cannot be separated from each other. And it goes in this Article 8, on to describe uh, the three persons, but it says God is not by this distinction divided into three. Since the Holy Scriptures teach us that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have each His personality distinguished by their properties, but in such wise that these three persons are but only one God. You got to bear with me here. The Old Testament takes a lot of time to drill into its readers the understanding that God is one one in essence and that is the basic confession of all who believe in monotheism Nevertheless, these persons, thus distinguished, are not divided nor intermixed. So, that's the first point. One in essence. It's the reason why, Genesis, we read these words about the creation, right? God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, right? But then he said, so God created man in his own image, In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Right there in that moment, although you have not a very clear picture, the revelation that God is multiple persons, but one essence. Second point. Three persons. We have here is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A blessed holy, undivided Trinity. According to this truth and this word of God, Article 8 says, we believe in one only God who is the one e- single essence and which are three persons, really, truly, and eternally distinct according to their incommunicable properties, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When the confession says incommunicable properties... It's talking about the way we can distinguish between the persons without dividing them. And the way it does that is by their outworking, their work, right? The Father is the cause, origin, and beginning of all things visible and invisible. Remember your Nicene Creed. Began with, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, creator of heavens and earth. Right? The Son is the word, wisdom, and image of the Father. The Holy Spirit is the eternal power and might proceeding from the Father and the Son. Nevertheless, God is not by this distinction divided into three, since the Holy Scriptures teach us that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have each His personality, distinguished by their properties, but in such wise that these three persons are but only one God. Hence, then, it is evident the Father is not the Son, nor the Son the Father, and likewise the Holy Spirit is neither the fa- Father nor the Son. Nevertheless, these persons, thus distinguished, are not divided nor intermixed. And here's the incommunicable incommunicable properties of the three persons. Uh, The Father has not assumed the flesh, nor has the Son, but the Son only. The Father has never been without His Son or without His Holy Spirit, for they're all three co-eternal and co-essential. There's neither first nor last. There's not a hierarchy of persons in the Trinity. The Father is not greater than the Son. Uh, The Son is not greater than the Holy Spirit, That's not how it works. They are all three—one in truth, and power, and goodness, and in mercy. And uh, an explanation of this from the scriptures, where we see this division of persons, is the scripture passage that I read to you, Matthew chapter three, the baptism of Jesus. I remember when I was uh, first a pastor in a small rural church in Rensselaer, Indiana. I had a visitor come to that church one day, and this was just when I was getting into theology, just when I was starting to dig into these things. And if you want to know why, uh, knowing your theology and knowing what you confess to believe is important, here's a, a real good example of that. If you question uh, your, your average evangelical today, they will not be clear to you on Trinitarian theology. Most of them are functional modalists. Um, they believe that... Um, The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are all the same person, just wearing different masks. But I was a a, a pastor in this small church in Rensselaer, and I had a visitor come, and I I thought she was full of the Holy Spirit. She was worshiping, raising her hands. I was glad that she was there. I was glad that she was visiting. And afterwards, she came up to me and she said, "Um, So you, you believe in oneness, don't you? I was like, "What do you mean?" And she's like, "Oh, you know, you you believe in oneness." I was like, "Yeah, God is one." No, you you believe that, you know that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit—they're all uh, the same person. And uh, this is the confession of many people who are alive today, called oneness Pentecostals. And uh, she believed this, and and I remember pointing her to. Matthew chapter 3, the baptism of Jesus. And I said, can you make sense of this passage? It says that when Jesus went down and and, and was baptized into the water, that the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and that the voice of the Father came from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Does that make sense? That... that, uh, uh, That was all the same person? Jesus just happened to be swapping his masks out really fast or something? I have no idea how that works if you're a modalist, a one that's Pentecostal. But if I wasn't sharp on that, she could have came into our church and started um, spreading that false teaching. Here in the baptism of Jesus, we see the three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all present and there are other places where that is the case as well. And so we have this confession that we believe in the trinitarian god, one in essence, three persons, father, son and holy spirit. And I probably jumped the gun a little bit on the Third point here. But there's some other. The scripture's testimony. In article 9, it goes on to say, the proof of the foregoing article of the trinity of persons in one God. It takes a, a scriptural argument. Now, I've talked to you about how a challenge when it comes to preaching and talking about the Belgic Confession is what um, we call proof-texting. Now, if there's one doctrine that is difficult to proof-text, it is the doctrine of the Trinity. Because the doctrine of the Trinity occurs in progressive revelation. And when I say progressive, I'm not talking like political progressives or anything like that. I'm saying progressive as in moving forward in a direction, right? In fact, the, the uh, Article 9 says so itself. It says when it's talking about uh, its uh, proof text from Genesis, um, It's true he does not say how many persons there are, but that which appears to us somewhat obscure in the Old Testament is very plain in the New. This is an Augustinian phrase. Uh, What is concealed in the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. But something about the Trinity is deeply important because Article 9 does not simply say that what we have here is proof in the Holy Scriptures, it obviously also says, all this we know as well from the testimonies of Holy Writ, as from their operations, and chiefly by those we feel in ourselves. And so, the testimony doesn't stop at the Bible. And part of the reason why I would uh, say that is because um, the Trinity is a lived and experienced doctrine. It's not something that's simply written in the book. It's something that we experience on a daily basis. And in fact, it's something that the apostles themselves went through in a most wondrous way. Imagine being Jews growing up in the promised land around Jerusalem. And your whole life in rabbi school, you were drilled home. God is one. here O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Over and over and over and over again. And then, out pops a baby. And you see this baby grow up and you start walking and living with this baby. Well, the baby's not a baby anymore, it's a grown man. He's your rabbi, he's teaching you and he's telling you that he is the son of God incarnate. And so you've got God the Father and you've got God the Son and and they're praying. The the Son is praying to the Father but they're they're both God and and, and you're trying to wrestle with this and you're trying to deal with this and you don't really know how to wrap your mind around it. And then the Son, this this Son of God dies. Three days later, comes back to life. You watch Him go off to heaven in in a cloud and then 40 days later, the Holy Spirit gets poured out upon you and you're like, There was God the Father, and there was God the Son, and now there's God the Holy Spirit. How do we deal with this? How do we wrestle with it? It's it's a lived experience that the church had to deal with, wrestle with, and go through. And that's why you see a progression of understanding and grasp. You see, in the Apostles' Creed, it's not very clear, the Trinitarian doctrine, right? But in the Nicene Creed, it's it's much more clear. And then in the Athanasian Creed, That's pretty clear. But the Bible does contain the proof to this doctrine, this conviction, this belief that there's no salvation apart from the Trinitarian God. Uh, The testimonies of the Holy Scripture teach us to believe this Holy Trinity are written in many places of the Old Testament, which are not so necessary to enumerate as to choose them out with discretion and judgment. It lists... Genesis chapter 1 let us make man in our image behold the man has become as one of us speaking of plurality there goes on to talk about what is obscure in the old testament is very plain in the new and it lists there a proof text is the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan the form is also instituted by Christ in the baptism of all believers, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For a particular note of the, um, uh, the uh, institution of baptism in Matthew chapter 28 is that the, wor- the, name, uh, the, the word name is singular. So you would say, typically baptize them in the names of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but in order to express the oneness, the one in essence, and the plurality of persons, the three persons, Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the singular name of the three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Another proof text given is the Gospel of Luke, the angel Gabriel, thus addressed Mary, the mother of our Lord, the Holy Spirit, Shall come upon you. The power of the Most High shall overcome thee. Wherefore also the holy thing which is begotten shall be called the Son of God. And likewise that beautiful benediction that we often hear in services: Second Corinthians thirteen fourteen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And um, that misreading of First John five seven that uh, is not original to the text but has been often quoted throughout history, uh, can be found in the King James Version of Scriptures. The, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Uh, many people believe that that's um, a, uh, an error in recording that was purposeful because uh, the church wanted one singular place to find a one good proof text for the Trinity. And that's because the way we come to terms with the Trinity from the scriptures is a progressive detail from Genesis to Revelation. We are growing more and more in our understanding and revelation of who God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and uh, it's not very easy to grab one text and say, There it is, boom. It's not as easy to do that as it is to, <clears throat> in terms of the Trinity. As it is to to point to a text and say, see, this proves the divinity of of Jesus. Or or see, this proves that this proves this doctrine or this doctrine, because the Trinity is this all encompassing thing. It's something that's slowly revealed over time in the Bible's testimony. About this final point, though. The benefit applied. Remember, one of the things I wanted to bring us to you is this understanding that, you know, how do, is, is this just some knowledge that we're supposed to, to, to gather? Is this something that we just need to know, um, but it doesn't really affect us? Um, how is this applied to our lives? So, we know... The Trinity from their operations, it says, chiefly by those we feel in ourselves. I want to make mention of this phrase in the Belgic Confession because often when we are talking about the Trinitarian nature of God, it can seem very heady, it can seem very um, academic, it can seem very... To the books. It can seem very uh, theological and and heavy and, and cerebral. And we don't realize how applicable and how important and how much of a comfort and a great wonder and beauty this doctrine is the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We experience them in their operations, we feel them in ourselves. This is a deeply personal. Reality, an experienced reality. This is not simply cerebral, theological. It's meaningful. So, what does it mean, Article 9, when it says, as from their operations, chiefly by those we feel in ourselves? Well, after it gets done, the Belgian Confession lists in a number of proof texts. And it makes the understatement of the century, which is probably my favorite line from Article 9. And although this doctrine far surpasses all human understanding, nevertheless, we now believe it by means of the word of God, but expect hereafter to enjoy perfect knowledge and benefit thereof in heaven. Now, I may differ and disagree with the Belgian Confession here in a little bit. I think that we will never fully know, have perfect knowledge of God because there's something greatly enjoyable About always increasing in our knowledge. And how can we know everything about someone who is infinite when we are finite? And that's not something that's bad. That means that in heaven we will always be growing in our understanding of the God who created us and made us for himself and redeemed us from our sin. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't want heaven to be static. Like what they say, a never-ending church service. Well, that sounds good to me, but as long as I'm not preaching. <laughs> no, I'd always preach. I always want to preach. Moreover, the confession, confession says, we must observe the particular offices and operations of these three persons towards us. Do you you know what this confession is saying? This confession is saying that there is a God, the God, who created the heavens and the earth, who has revealed himself to us, one in essence, three in persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Everything you see has been made by Him, is sustained by Him, created by Him, even the every breath that you take, every heartbeat that you receive. And this God looks upon us worms. And He has offices and operations. Towards us, What you don't understand, what you need to grasp, is that God did not simply reveal himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinitarian God, so that we could have our orthodoxy all in line and be proper, good Trinitarian Christians who know our creeds and who know that God is one in essence and three in persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've got all of our I's dotted and our T's crossed. We are proper, in-line, theological Christians who know what we're talking about. No, God has revealed himself to us as the one true God, one in essence, three in person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so that we could experience him and enjoy him and be with him. And so what are the particular offices and operations of these three persons toward us? The Father is called our Creator by His power. I think of the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed as well follows this form. The Son is our Savior and Redeemer by His blood. The Holy Spirit is our sanctifier by His dwelling in our hearts. So, Father, Creator. Son, Redeemer, Spirit, Sanctifier. This doctrine of the Holy Trinity has always been affirmed and maintained by the true church since the time of the Apostles to this very day. And it lists a number of false uh, religions. The Jews who have abandoned uh, God's revelation and Trinitarian nature. The Mohammedans, the is, uh, Muslims, Islam, false Christians and heretics. Marcion uh, divided the, uh, the God of the Old Testament from the God of the New Testament. Sibelius is basically your modern day modalist. Um, those today, Oneness, Pentecostals, Unitarians. Um, would be a number of people we could list today. Um, but if we're going stip- to stay here as operations towards us, Father, Creator, Son, Redeemer, Spirit, Sanctifier, and I'm going to talk about how this um, conviction that God is three in one, uh, God is one in essence, three in persons, is, a- is applied to us. How does this benefit us? Um, I'm going to stay right here, Okay. Father, Creator, Son, Redeemer, Spirit, Sanctifier. And say this. Why can I make this conviction? There is no salvation apart from the Trinitarian God. Um, Because um, salvation itself is Trinitarian. And gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is Trinitarian. The Father ordains to create... Knowing that we would fall into sin, the Son agrees to go and to redeem a people for His own. The Spirit agrees to be sent from the Father and the Son to indwell those people and to bring them and draw them to salvation in Jesus Christ and to sanctify them and keep them and hold them until that day when Christ would come again. There is no gospel if God is not Trinitarian. There is no good news if God is not one in essence, three in person. Worship is Trinitarian. You come here every Sunday and you gather to worship the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How do you do that? You worship the Father in the name of the Son through and by the power and operation of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is Trinitarian. You're baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father marks you as part of the covenant. The Son promises to redeem you if you believe and trust in Him. The Spirit comes to apply the benefit, the application of the baptism to you. The Lord's Supper is Trinitarian. We just participated in it this morning. The table is set. And what do we do when we participate in the Lord's Supper? The Father invites us. The Spirit lifts us up to be seated in the heavenly throne room. Where Jesus is in the flesh. Prayer is Trinitarian. You pray to the Father. In the name of the Son through the power and operation of the Holy Spirit. The benefit of God as Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is that there there would be no salvation apart from the Trinitarian God. And that this God has desire to reveal himself to us in such a way that we may be those who experience and enjoy him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, throughout all the days of our lives and into eternity. How does God being one in three benefit us? How does it not? Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us not only the testimony of the scriptures to reveal to us that you are one in essence and three in persons, but Lord, you have caused us to experience their operations, your operations, by those we feel in ourselves. That, Lord, you have created us by your power. That in your Son, we are redeemed by his blood. And that the Holy Spirit, we've poured out upon us, dwelling in our hearts. Has marked us as your own and sanctifying us for the day of Christ's return to judge the living and the dead. We pray, Lord, that you would keep us, continue to preserve us, and may we know, Lord, the benefits and application of who you are to us, one in essence, three in persons, holy undivided Trinity. Thank you. thank you for all that you've given us. May we live for you all the days of our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.